variations. Who specifically Lex is targeting with zero to 60 and how is it doing that? Yeah, when we thought about zero to 60, it started from a basic premise of, well, you know, how do multicultural audiences identify with performance? And that's really starting at a basic level um, before we can get to the conversation of racing. And, and that really stemmed from after uh, Lexus rolled out its F moniker uh, for the brand. And it's, it was very much like, well, let's, we need to find out. We need to find out to a degree that it matters, that it's, it's an actual emotional trigger. Uh, there's a business proposition and it's part of the decision-making model in buying a Lexus vehicle. Is that now a part of it? Has it, has it always been there? Have we not essentially thought about it? Let's start to sort of peel back the layers and better understand that. Uh, and we started with just um, making an appearance at what Lexus calls their, um, their, their Lexus College, in, in which whenever they roll out a new vehicle, they uh, give training to all the dealers about the, the total makeup of the car, all the features, all the attributes, and they do it at racetracks. So we sent um, talent and some of our publisher partners out there to capture content and when we saw the reaction, because a lot of people just haven't been on a racetrack ever in their life, we're like, wow, like th there's something here. And the now host Tigger uh, was the, the person we sent out, one of our partners, Automotive Rhythms. And obviously, Tigger being a black male represented our black audience. And when we saw his reaction to it, and he was very clear that he had never been on a racetrack and did not expect that from Lexus as a brand, that performance acumen. And that was specifically with the RCF. Uh, when it debuted, we're like, oh, well, there's something here. Like, there's, there's some real affinity and passion here. What would it look like if we actually built a racing show? So we did a pilot with Willis, uh, up in Willow Springs in season one. It's only four episodes. At the time, we had a different host, uh, but we had notable people like John, Sally, Alfonso Rivera participate. And uh, we also had you know some of the Lexus drivers like uh, uh, retired Scott Pruitt participate. And when people said, hey, this is like the most fun we've, ever, we've ever, ever had at a shoot, it was like, wow, like not only was it a smart execution, there's some legs there, it was, it was an enjoyable branded entertainment piece. And you know, for our black segment, we've always led with entertainment as being one of the, the pillars over the years since we've been working on the business. Mm -hmm. So we knew if we mix entertainment in particular talent that's in the entertainment business in some form or fashion, uh, with performance, we may have a winning formula. And we really uh, figured it out by the time we got to season two, where we really expanded the number of episodes, the number of participants, you know, went to uh, a different racetrack in, in, in Road Atlanta. Uh, there was, you know, it was a notable recognizable circuit and said, wow, we've really created an entertainment piece it is all about the car. And I think what, what marketers want is, at the end of the day, selfishly, they want to, to really focus in on what they do, sell cars. And we've done other uh, executions for Lexus, other things on the entertainment side. We've even other, done other TV shows. This is the first time that the show was all about the product and key performance products. So that was a major win. Uh, and we realized the connection point with our black consumer in doing so that gave us yet another through line to build affinity for the brand. You know, instead of just focusing on the amazing ride of being in a Lexus and the comfort uh, of, of driving a, a well-made uh, luxury car and, and the, the acumen you get from a service perspective when you take your car in to get, you know, its service checkup, it was, well, performance is yet another thread to build affinity with this audience. And, and that was key. 
uh, as we've just seen the horsepower wars roll out across every automaker across the globe, we knew that performance is just going to matter at some level because it's going to be the norm. So doing a show to illustrate that uh, was probably to some degree just essential to find out uh, to what degree we can create something that really makes sense, that did perform at the end of the day, uh, and created a, a, a stronger connection point with this particular consumer, where the preconceived notion is that the black consumer isn't really into racing. So part of it was distilling that, distilling that myth to say, well, actually they are. If you, if you create a, a cultural connection point in a, in a very smart way, and a lot of that connection point really comes down to the talent. You know, having people that are identifiable in the black community, the people that are respected, known enough to a degree that people can identify with. You know, they're not, quote unquote, pro race drivers, but look, performance and speed is something they enjoy. Now, also, I mean, well, one, uh, tell me first a little bit about um, what kind of response, what made it so successful? What, what were you seeing that made Lexus say, OK, this is something we need to continue to do? Because I know you're now, what, into like its sixth season or fifth or... Yeah, this will be uh, season four this year. Season four, sorry. Uh, so, yep. But tell me, what was it? What made it a proven success? What numbers were you seeing? Uh, great question. I mean, I think anytime you create a, you know, a web series, the, the, the main metric is, you know, level of, of social chatter and conversation and, and video views and what kind of press and PR pickup you get, which all those metrics improve year over year. But at the end of the day, it's how many uh, individuals saw it. You know, how many how many minutes were essentially churned against total viewing? Um, and look, we promoted it. You know, we we didn't just kind of throw it out there to see what traction it was. I mean, we made sure we pivoted towards our our core uh, black audience that that we were trying to reach the same way that we would do if we were running factory messaging. So we saw strong traction in terms of uh, video views into the into the millions and each season it essentially got better. We saw strong social pickup because we had the right talent that had a following. Uh, and then we saw, uh, you know, overall press just increase season over season uh, over the years. I think the, the, the thing that was very interesting that, that really sort of cemented the value was when we started to look at the decision-making model of our black consumer. And when we started to break down their, it's called a path to purchase, one of the things that popped in our, our, our data analytics was the usage and frequenting of enthusiast sites. So car and driver, road and track was, uh, was uh, what popped in, in terms of the top autoendemic sites, the same way we saw Edmunds, KBB, uh, even people going to Lexus.com. So we know that as part of their decision to buy Lexus, they read enthusiast content. So if you think about it, you know, you go on your, your, your autotrader.com, your cars.com, uh, cars.com look at pricing you know you, you go in your kbbs your Edmonds to look at reviews you go in your enthusiasts to see the people who are passionate about cars what do they think so if they're already looking and searching for enthusiast content as part of the decision making model then we might as well be creating it um as yet another narrative to control and steer people uh you know down the funnel to buy a lexus vehicle so the way we see it now is this is what our consumer is going to do Better for us to create the story of what we want them to see than leave it to third parties to hopefully they're, they're writing, creating favorable content around the brand that still steers them down that, that particular funnel. So now that we see, we've been able to unpack data, 
um, to substantiate how they decide what vehicles to buy, we know that the racing show has a definitive place. So beyond the notion that it's it's just good entertainment um, and it's you know it's it's racing elements at its core because we partner with Lexus Motorsports. We know that that's part of what uh, our consumer set is going to do in making a, a purchase decision. Now, when you were doing this, you talked about how you really promoted it when you initially uh, launched the show. What what channels did you use? What you know, you talked social. Was there advertising involved? Really, what specifically um, did you do to get the word out there um, for this when this all was being launched? Yeah, I mean, we used um, definitely used social channels uh, to degree. You know, the the episodes are on Lexus YouTube channel. Uh, we also did some, you know, we call it paid social amplification, uh, primarily through um, uh, Facebook network. So talk about Facebook and Instagram. A uh, little bit of use of Twitter, uh, based upon some of the talent that's that that participated in the show. We also did what we would just call sort of video distribution. We we seeded the videos natively across uh, key content sites uh, to reach our audience. A lot of them were uh, auto sites in particular, uh, just because, you know, uh, from a native standpoint, uh, in context was uh, a strong fit. And then we obviously did, you know, press. We have press who attend each of the tapings. You know, they interview the drivers. They get to see the taping and the making of the show firsthand. Um, And, you know, as we've expanded season over season, we've rolled in, uh, additional partners, you know, like uh, Automotive Rhythms has been uh, there supporting us since the beginning. Motor Trend came on deck and uh, in season three has been a great partner, not only for Zero to Sixty, but for Lexus as as a brand. Uh, so we've constantly looked at, you know, who else can sort of join the foray to spread and create awareness around the show. So we, we treat it as if we are marketing, you know, an actual show. This is not left to the happenstance of did it go viral i mean we are making a direct push to create uh, essentially visibility for it for the channels that we recognize really matter uh for the consumer audience and you know let's be clear some of these partners have crossover appeal because we know that the show has relevance beyond just the black consumer i mean if you were to watch the series you just say you know this is just this is fun and entertaining in a in a good display of you know well-made product um, so uh, we know that the potential for the show has more appeal or crossover appeal, you know, even just beyond our black consumer. Now, getting—I mean, one—is that something that's important for anyone if they're considering doing something like this? To yes, target your specific audience. I mean, that's obviously a big part of what this was all about. But keep it in mind that you want to be able to have cross appeal, so that way it's not limiting yourself. Is how. Did you purposely set that up or did it just happen? Like, what would you suggest anyone else who's thinking, okay, I want to now create something like this? What do they need to do and keep in mind for that? It's very interesting. Focus. Yeah, very interesting question. I mean, I think when when you start looking at it from an overall show content perspective, we know racing, you know, crosses cultural uh, barriers in terms of interest. So we, we knew that would work. When we looked at the talent that we've enlisted in the shows from, you know, uh, over the years from a big Tigger to, you know, uh, uh, John Salik or Carmelita Jetta, um, Alphonse Ribeiro. I mean, these are people who just have appeal beyond the the uh, Lamont Rucker, the black shows or black audience in general. So we knew that we had the making of a talent mix 
they would have crossover appeal. Uh, anyway, even though their core audience is probably very much a black audience, um, you know, I think you have to get down to the execution of it. You know, once you create it, is it good enough? Um, and you know, we, you know, the the usage of the you know Lexus uh, drivers is what makes it so credible. When you see a Scott Pruitt or Jack Hawksworth, um, you know, we're going to look to do some some work with uh, Townsend Bell moving forward. I mean, these are guys that are that are well known in the racing sphere. So when you see them on camera mirrored with our talent and, you know, let's be clear, they're all, they're cauc- uh, Caucasian men. You see them, the, the cross-cultural appeal of, of, of putting us all essentially in the same sandbox and they lend credibility that the show is more authentic, that the driver training is very real, that there has to be quote unquote truth in racing uh, in the execution of the show. Uh, but it just makes for a good mix of, of, you know, I call it a cast of entertaining characters that can move beyond the core audience. I mean, look, it has to perform with the black audience first and foremost, or it doesn't make sense. The crossover appeal, I think, is what gives it the longevity. When people start to ask, okay, where can we go with this? Can we go bigger? Can we go further? Um, you know, what's the longevity? How many seasons should we entertain? And I think as ideas move across segments and cultures naturally, they have a longer shelf life. I mean, that's just kind of the mm-hmm. basic laws of, of attrition that if, if you have more sustainability in the business idea, it essentially lives longer. And if it still performs, the other thing that we did after season three is we looked at the sales impact for our black consumer against uh, the RC and RCF. And that, that was the, the key star vehicle in, in, in season three. Um, even though the GSF is in there as well as the Lexus LC. We saw a 53% lift in sales amongst our black consumer um, from, you know, the the, the RC uh, product uh, vehicle for Lexus. And the thing is, when we aired the show, we aired at the same time our factory messaging was running. Basically, the, the black spot we created um, for the RC um, so when you think about that, you have a show that's around enthusiast content being promoted at the same time your factory messaging is out there, and the net effect is a 53% lift in a vehicle that's not really sold at a you know, particular high volume, and then you see certain dealer markets have, have an interest now in, in, in running that against our, our, our same consumer. That's a good story when you start to see how uh, branded content supported with your, your standard messaging in a combination can drive sales lift. You see there's a, there's a formula there. Um, and it, so then when you start to reassess, okay, how viable is this? When it helps play a supportive role in driving you know, demonstrable sales lift, then the value goes up exponentially. And that was something we were able to extract uh, following season three. We weren't really there in season one, which is really a pilot, or season two. But when you start to think about, hey, we're going to put more investment behind this, you do start to look at, okay, what is the overall return value we're getting at a program like this? So backing up with that, um, and so I understand it a little bit. So when you also at this point, so for season three, you also launched an ad campaign that targeted specifically the black audience as well. And then that combined is what you, why you saw that lift, like that those working together? Yes. You know, when a lot of people do branded content, um, it doesn't, you know, not all the time, does the airing of that mirror what I would call more the corporate messaging around that particular product? Um, you know, and that's everything from you know web web series to uh, you know integration into you know major motion pictures. 
Um, what we learned from this exercise, just as a business, is that when the two are tethered around the same time and the timing works, um, they essentially work together. It, it becomes a, a smarter through line in terms of having standard factory support. Like, look, there's the car I'm going to go buy at the dealership. And then here is some enthusiast content of it performing on the track with some entertaining talent. So I guess the vehicle's got some chops because there's only so much you can illustrate in a TV spot in 30, 60 seconds. But when you have a racing show that's, you know, four or five, six minutes plus, um, you know, on a well-known race course, that gives lends additional credibility to is this a, a product of consideration. So, yes, with the two tethered together, um, we and then monitoring the sales lift afterwards, we know that, hey, it, it could have only supported and given it some thrust, um, you know, versus not, uh, uh, you know, helping support sort of the, the, the marketplace impact with the vehicle. And that's just, you know, that's a, 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 a sort of learning exercise. A lot of times the stars don't align based on when the show was, uh, uh, season three was taped and when it aired and we were, when we were running the RC campaign, um, it, it sort of worked out in terms of the timing interval, just about um, overlapping. Uh, so it's smart of us between the, obviously the agency and brand to have that coordination work out. But when you see that work, then that becomes a the part of the formula for success when even evaluating other, you know, different programs moving forward. And look, I would give that recommendation to any brand that if you're doing branded content, integration, if you're doing things that live in digital only, to have some other supportive messaging running at the same time can only help. That's sort of that uh, rising tide lifts all boats sort of philosophy. Um, and we know there was some natural lift that we got out of having these two tied together. Yeah, and I mean, and obviously when it comes down to it, I mean, certain things are very brand oriented, which I think probably initially this series was that. But the fact is, the the bottom line is the bottom line, and that's obviously a concern for most um, for most companies ultimately, yes. especially now with budgets. But um, I guess finally, just before I get into some other stuff, but just um, when people do think of, okay, do I want to create a series like this or something like this? Is it an expensive undertaking? Because obviously, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's another great question. You know, it's. The advantage we have as an agency on the Walt Nisinger side is a lot of people in the organization have brand entertainment, talent management background. So they know how the business works and how you can secure talent without sort of breaking the bank. Uh, and look, every agency is not set up for that. I get that. Or even a client. But, you know, we, we have what I'd call friends of the agency uh, who, you know, are considered celebrity talent who you know are willing to work with the agency um, because of the opportunity. And look, we were strategic in looking for people who you know, wanted other things to get involved in to expand their range beyond, what, let's say, what their core discipline is based on what they do. It saw it was going to be a good sort of entertaining time. And look, we, we still comply to all industry rules around compensation. Um, so we were well-versed in that. Um, but I think we have some, you know, some unique negotiating uh, capabilities with talent out there. You know, we have some unique relationships of, of, of how we've been able to pull people into this particular series to participate. And look, I think everybody recognizes there's a far worse day in the office than hanging out, creating content at a racetrack. Um, so our budget was, I would say, you know, relatively, relatively lean. I mean, we were pretty efficient in terms of 
you know, the shoot is within 48 hours at a racetrack. Um, you know, we leveraged a production crew that did some previous uh, company, did some previous work uh, on another show, another Lexus show uh, with another driver. So there was equity already there. Um, so everyone kind of brought their relationships to the table, uh, which allowed us to, you know, fund this without having to push something, you know, into the seven figures in terms of uh, the, the execution here. Look, some of it is just imagination. Um, in, in the thinking and planning process. You know, they're always the types of talent and people you want locations that are more desirable, but there's still a formula of how you can mix the two that essentially work and make it very sort of cost effective. Um, so, you know, season one was more of, look, you have a, a bucket of money. We challenge you. If you can make a racing show work, make it work. And we did. And I think once Lexus saw the payoff from the pilot, they said, okay, let's, let's blow this out a little bit. You know, expand the number of episodes, go to a larger track. We'll bring some more of our resources to tether and be tied to the show. Um, you know, still keeping, you know, the budgetary parameters, you know, relatively, uh, you know, lean in a sense. Um, so, that, you know, we we make efficient use of everybody's time and the, the amount of money. And even our, you know, we brought partners that we've worked with over the years who are more than welcome to support promoting and covering content around a racing show. Uh, so I think that is what made the, the, the execution of this uh, a little bit more seamless uh, than it may be for some other brands, just, just based upon what we have access to. And let's be clear, I mean, the average talent has no objection to being on a Lexus racing show. You know, there is some laws of attraction at play here where some say, oh, that's Lexus? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come to the shoot. <laughs> so it's, it's good to work with a brand that actually just has some natural pull and affinity. And look, the Toyota Motor Cup is one of the favorite brands by the black community. I mean, you can look at Lexus sales. You can look at Toyota, you know, Toyota vehicle sales, and the affinity is there. So we got people who, who like the brand, who they say, this is my brand. And people are willing to do when it's, quote unquote, their brand versus not. Uh, and I think that is probably one of the underlying testaments to what we're able to execute when people say, this is a company, like, I'll work with this company. And maybe I don't have to, it doesn't have to be my normal rates um, or what I would like to get in terms of compensation. But for this brand, yeah, I'll, I will align with that. And that's, that's important and that's powerful. You know, we can only give that credit to what they as a company have built. Right. Well, so just to kind of wrap it up in terms of if you if someone would come to you and just like in the elevator, like that elevator spiel and not even a, but I don't want it as a spiel. I want it like I really want to be able to do this. What what are my things that I need the most important things to put in a row to make sure that I'm ready to do something like this? Yeah, I think, you know, when you when you start looking at the long view, understand the, the your consumer decision making model. When I, When I say that we're able to unpack the analytics this shows that our black consumer looks at enthusiast content and this is an enthusiast more oriented program um that's key because it's it's basically saying look this is a part of how they decide it, it, when it comes down to purchase better for us to create content and own that narrative and allow somebody else essentially to do that you know i mean and that's really starting from the basics of understanding um how the consumer you know, thinks about your particular brand and even to a degree how they may think and in, in, in revere uh, competitive brands. 
uh, because that's a huge part of that. You know, I think you have to essentially look at, you know, what are the what are business outcomes? Is it just entertainment and awareness? Are, are you trying to get some level of lift? Uh, you're trying to align with some other some other business objectives, some other swim lanes in terms of, in terms of uh, you know marketing and sales. I mean, be a little bit methodical in terms of 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 why this product is going to exist and in what sort of the, the rules of engagement. Um, I think you'd have to ap- approach it as a platform opportunity. So when we look at it, it's like where is this going to live and how many different forms and has a lot to do with the things we're looking to enhance for the next season in terms of, you know, uh, we're going to bring, look to bring women influencers into the fold. Um, we're going to look at uh, integrating a podcast uh, specifically for zero to 60. So we started to think about, okay, what is the platform or form for something like this? Okay, we, we, we have the talent, we have their social profiles, you know, we, we have the brand participation, we have the, we have the product. We know it's going to live. We're going to seed it natively via native video. It's going to sit on some Lexus channels. Um, we we want a certain audiences to follow it. So, in you know, it, it, between male female, um, we we want to create extensions. So, Motor Trend, Automotive Rhythms, what kind of editorial you're going to create? We want press there. We want them writing about it. Okay, ooh, podcast show, talk radio to talk about racing in the show with the talented drivers. Yeah, makes total sense. Uh, I mean, we, we've each season, we've looked to see how can we build to make the platform built bigger. It's almost like taking this, a page out of uh, how, how studios approach uh, the release of a major film. You know, we're not, we're not in a place where we're going to have merchandise, per se. But, you know, those platforms list, uh, exist in so many different areas between how they roadshow essentially a film debuting. Uh, so we took a little bit of that thinking to say, how can we build upon the platform? So when you look at custom content ideas for entertainment, look at it as a platform, not as just a one-off, not as a sole execution, but how, how, where all the places it can live, how do we cut it up into pieces, how do we make it digestible for all the different channels for which people can consume content, um, and then you know roll that up to an idea. And, and then I think you have something that becomes very concrete, very rock solid, some business objectives supporting, uh, you know, data driven. And then it's it's easy to see how and why ideas can, like this can get greenlit. Um, and they also then warrant the investment. I think, you know, any marketer gets to a point to say, should we continue to be spending this kind of money, this clip on something like this? And I think it, it, it needs to be that gift that kind of keeps on giving. And then you can see the renewed interest in doing it year over year and over year. So each year you sort of, you, as you said, the first season, you saw that there was response. So then that warranted a bigger budget and more um, time spent into this and more, more Lexus and energy. And then each year, is it sort of reevaluated to see which direction it goes and continues and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think every year we're like, okay, how can we raise it to the next level? How can we make the challenges more dynamic? Uh, how can we find yet another uh, story track? So we went from Willow Springs to Road Atlanta to Laguna Seca, and now for season four, looking at Circuit of the Americas. I mean, these these are very just 
you know, renowned tracks, even from a global stage, then it's like, how can we get even more entertaining talent? But how would we get more diversified talent in terms of their audience reach? How can we get more supportive media partners who are just fans of the brand to write about it? Let's see, can we get more press or different press there? I think we looked at every element of the show and said, how can we take it to the next level? What's to improve upon it? How can we expand upon it? Um, and then see how we can essentially execute against it. So I, I think that's just, you know, also part of the natural evolution of, of looking at Zero to 60 as a product the same way Lexus would a vehicle and say, how in the next generation will we improve upon it based upon what would precedent or new baseline that we've established? And I don't see that changing. Um, every year we'll reassess and unpack every piece of it and say, how can we improve upon this in this element? Um, and then see how far we can go with it. Obviously now things are so, I mean, I, just, I mean, for you, Albert, as we've talked about here, <laughs> you know, you're working from home, things are different. What is it like in terms of what's going on now, getting into, you know, coronavirus and with your other clients and what is your world like right now? And how are people responding? How are your different clients responding? You know, I think everyone has to look at their different scenario. I mean, the interesting thing is, you, I think everyone, in particular the advertising industry, is going to really understand everything is supply chain driven. You know, marketing is a discipline. Half of it is supply chain management, wholesale, retail, manufacturing, distribution, long before you get to promotions and, 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 and pricing and some of the other elements. And as supply chain is disrupted, so is the availability of product, the, the ease which you can sell it or the accessibility to, to connect with a consumer. Um, and thus advertising. Uh, so, you know, advertising dollars tend to be a direct derivative of product sales. So you have to start to think about if you if you can sell less or you have disruptions in selling, you have disrupting some disruptions in, in promoting that same product. The worst thing is promoting something that people can't get to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is you have to start thinking about what things can exist in a digital realm where, you know, there's social distancing, there's not as much, you know, face-to-face contact. What can exist in a digital realm on its own and still move uh, consumers down and, and keep them in the purchase pathway or purchase funnel around your particular product? You know, some some brands, the only commerce is e-commerce. There, there is no other option. Yeah. And to what degree you're really operationally ready for that. I think there'll be a bit of reset where all businesses will have to have a scenario that if something like this happened again, would they be ready? And to, to what degree they would miss a beat or not? Um, and clearly you can see certain companies were, were much more oriented around pivoting. You know, QSR is probably the biz, biggest advantage because most of them have drive-throughs anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else has to get in through kind of a takeout order only sort of operation, which is different if you're not kind of a takeout order uh, uh, establishment. Um, other businesses that are at a standstill because consumers have to walk in and, and trial the product. Um, and, you know, that, that changes things um, just in terms of, you know, their mindset and orientation and, and are they set up for that. And um, I, I think what people will get into is more scenario planning to protect the viability of their businesses during uncertain times in a way like never before because the disruption right now that is essentially very real. And the impacts of it will be very real, in particular, even once things over, how quickly they sort of come back online. Um, And that, you know, even 2021 is likely to be a reset recovery year. 
um, in you know moving the the future forward is really being in a better position. It's hard to think about for 2022, just because with the outlook for next year is just going to be for a, a series of industries. Uh, the, that level of adaptability, flexibility is inherently going to have to be built into every business model. Uh, you know, are you finding that with some of your clients now even? Because, I mean, everyone has campaigns maybe coming up for the spring, and there might be certain type of creative that just won't work right now. Or, or are <laughs> yes. you clients are looking even to push something? You know, everyone's at home, so are, are they trying to turn their focus to that? Like, what are you seeing in terms of reactions from um, any of your clients that, that actually can maybe do something about it? Yeah, I think you're starting the first line of, of response is not being tone deaf, having the right messaging in the marketplace. Are we saying the right thing? You know, from a human standpoint, forget selling product. And then our, 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 when, when you re- pivot back around to product marketing, is, is the positioning, does it make sense for, you know, the, the new normal? We have a client, uh, Medline in Chicago. Um, you know, one of the brands is uh, Nitrile Gloves. So to the lay person, that, those are latex gloves in terms of how they identify from a category perspective. But right now, you know, that is a product that's running off the shelves. It, it, the natural lift is it doesn't really need marketing um, and not as, not as heavy and, and, and intensively as it did before. The other thing is the product availability. You don't be sending out a marketing message to a product that's not at the shelf when you get there. So, you know, they've made pauses in their spending based upon the, the supply chain uh, disruption. They're, not enough was scheduled to be manufactured, of course. So now they have to readjust what is essentially, you know, going to be produced. Um, but that has a real impact on ad spending when you have to slow down the spending for messaging in, in in the marketplace when when the product could be scarce. And we don't we don't know to what degree the scenario escalates, and then those gloves are in higher demand. Their other product is, uh, you know, they they sell a, um, uh, you know, a skin therapy lotion. Uh, you know, dermatologist backed. Um, but, you know, with all the excessive hand washing and sanitizing, what are people buying more of? Well, they're buying more of essentially lotions because they have to, you know, re-moisturize, hydrate the skin. Similar dynamic, natural lift taking place. Um, is it the right time to be going product, 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 product? And, you know, it, look, you know, the shelves are kind of emptying out. And again, you have to reassess manufacturing to say, hey, is this just a in an uncharacteristic lift what's going on or whether there'll be new product lift in general now we'll we'll accelerate manufacturing goals i mean those are real business dynamics that have to be made you know on the lexus side it's hey with dealerships closed in a lot of the major markets you know the 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 there's there's a wholesale change you know less new cars will be sold so less new cars need to be manufactured they need to be that needs to slow down and Yes, ad spending is, is essentially to a degree tied to that. So, again, the big disruption is people are going to really understand how supply chain moves everything in this world. And to the degree that's disrupted or impacted, they will have to reconsider and rethink business strategy around how disruptions impact them. Some can pivot much faster. Some can't. Some, some of your manufacturing offshore, it's a different dynamic when you have to ship the product across seas versus you, you, you manufacture in your, your own facilities that are on the, the campus of your corporate complex. Everyone just has different business dynamics that they're going to have to evaluate. Unfortunately, in the AG media side of the business, we're kind of a collateral damage <laughs> because we don't have an insight to 
supply chain processes of most of our clients or, or, or manufacturing. That, that's not our role. And that may be a dynamic that changes. We may need to better understand that just to protect ourselves. But uh, those are things we now have to be more conscious of. Even the, the client selection process of who we do business with. You know, it's very different when the product is a service, like if, you, if your client is a commercial bank. As long as the bank is open, the, the bank is effectively in business. Nothing's really, really changed versus uh, if something is closed, nothing is being made. Uh, that, that's, those are very different dynamics that have to consider. And especially as an agency, you have all different types of clients, so you're dealing with it on all different levels. I mean, how are you trying to, you know, obviously every different, depending on the client, it's a different uh, scenario, but what, in terms of moving forward, is there something that you would recommend to all of them in terms of to try to, you know, make this a better outcome? Or is there, is it that one, you know, kind of thing that you can say? You know, I think it's, it's almost like an investing. You know, you need to have a diversified mix because you don't know what causes one opportunity or client to upshift and one downshift. Um, it, you know, and that's that's it's sort of easier said than done. Most agencies are good at a thing or a few things. No one can be all things to all people. So, you know, if, in this day and age, if you had a pharmaceutical client, um, you know, it could be a madhouse, uh, you know, because th- that that messaging is pretty consistent in 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 particular during trying times, but that's the narrative of healthcare in general. Um, you know, I, I, I think the other thing is, you know, there, you know, people have to think about, you know, fee structures. How are you making the money from the client? And are, are there, are there things and services that are caught, quote unquote, always on regardless versus the things that get essentially shut off or put on pause? Um, so uh, I, I think you have to kind of look at the inflow of, of opportunity and, and cash flow and how, what's that a derivative of, um, and do you need to make some long-term adjustments? Look, I think every business realized they need to be more cash flush, they need to be a little bit more liquid than they have in the past. Uh, so, so it's sort of rainy day front because things like recessions, they, they happen. Uh, granted, you can tend, tend to see those things on approach and you have time to make adjustments versus pandemics that the pivot is literally overnight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, everyone who have to take a look at their, their P&Ls and start to think about what they are and are not structured for. And that's even to the adaptability of, of staff, you know, to what degree you maintain full time, you know, employees, FTEs versus contractors versus what have you, you know, to be able to bolt on and bolt off as dynamics in the marketplace change. And that's not just for agencies, you know, media companies will have to assess that as well as well as uh, corporations who tend to just be staff of full-time employees, do they need to have more of a, a flexible workforce structure when things like this happens that they can pace down the, the resource burn uh, uh, and then, you know, ramp up uh, when, 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 when things are doing very well and very robust and it makes, it makes great business sense. Are you seeing your clients dropping their budgets at this point, or is it still wait and see? No, I mean, most of our clients at this point have paused. You know, part of it is, is, the, is, is the timing off for the message in the marketplace. Again, wanting to focus on the human element first, less their business. Um, some of it, again, is based upon the fact that product availability or product accessibility. Um, and obviously bracing for financial corrections. You know, I think every... Company America could issue a profit warning right now to, to all their stakeholders. So 
that is just uh, making adjustments for what they know inevitably is going to come. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of advertising start to go dark uh, or, or get paced down substantially in the month of April um, as things will, you know, it, that could be a, a anticipated time based on what we've seen across the globe of things reaching their peak. Um, could be sustained through the month of May. I think June is going to be the the telling story as to are we ready for recovery or not, or is this going to be a sustained uh, circumstance we're living in? Got it. Wow. Well, that's definitely um, a lot. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it really is, and I, you know, it's great. I definitely appreciate you talking about all of this, and and I want to just double check with you because you did mention some names of 